The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. Markets look to close the year on an upbeat note, with the S&P 500 posting its biggest one-day gain on the month and the Nasdaq carrying back December's steep losses. But Wall Street stays on track to mark its worst year since the great financial crisis. Stocks in China rise in their final session of the year despite a fresh wave of COVID infections and renewed travel restrictions for travelers, which state media brands discriminatory. Oil prices edge higher to close out a year that saw energy majors come out as the top performers with investors now eyeing the impact of China's reopening and the energy crunch out in Europe. And Russia continues its attacks in Kyiv a day on from the biggest aerial assault on Ukraine since the start of the war as President Biden's spending bill for the 2023, uh, for 2023 pledges more support to Ukrainian forces. And a warm welcome to our final show of the year. Airbnb, wow, great to what be a here year with it you. Has been. Yeah, it's been my first year, right? So, really, really great. Market pictures have certainly been varied and very, very different. So, market pictures, certainly what we'll take a look at, especially in our review of 2022. You picked a quite a year to join the team, Airbnb. <laughs> it's been wonderful to have you on board. Um, in terms of the year, we've got the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, inflation running rampant across the globe, and rising interest rates, of course, to combat that rising inflation. So, putting it all together the final day of trade uh, coming into today of December we've got green across the board and a real reversal of the recent trends we've seen in U.S. trade throughout the month of December we've seen underperformance from tech stocks yesterday a totally different story we saw an outsized rebound in the U.S. tech sector it was green across the board every major index making it their way higher yesterday the Dow Jones gaining about one percent S&P 500 gaining about one and uh, three quarters of a percent and that tech heavy Nasdaq rallying about 2.6 percent. We saw Tesla shares surge yesterday about 8 percent. Apple, which we talked a lot about yesterday, hitting a new um, 52 week low, bouncing yesterday as well. So a real reversal of the trends we've seen over the course of the month. All sectors were positive yesterday. Putting this into context of what we've seen over the course of the year, we are in negative territory, uh, of course, still, especially for that tech sector. The Nasdaq down 33% year-to-date coming into today's session. S&P 500, 19% lower, and the Dow Jones down more than 3,000 points on the year. Given all the focus on tech, let's take a little bit of a closer look at what the action that we saw yesterday. I mentioned some of the big movers already. Tesla shares up 8% yesterday, so bouncing very strongly. Apple also catching a strong bid. We are back above that 129 mark, which was seen as a key technical level. We breached below that mark yesterday uh, and in the previous trading session. Microsoft also catching a bid yesterday. Netflix rallying about 5%. We'll see if these gains stick. As for a year to date, the Nasdaq underperformed and here's a look at some of the big movers within it. 
Meta down 65% on the year. Netflix down more than 50%. Tesla down more than 65%. Yes, there are idiosyncratic reasons why Tesla has pulled back, but clearly this is a trend we've seen across the sector. Apple down 27% year to date. So it's actually held up much better than some of its peers. Uh, Arabile, why don't you take us through what we've seen in bond markets? Yeah, this has certainly been one that has been volatile quite a, a lot across this year, right? So you've seen a lot of changes really moving higher are those yields across this year as the risk sentiment kind of came into focus uh, quite ex extensively, right? You saw a hawkish interest rate outlook, particularly then for the uh, central banks as well across the globe, particularly then with the U.S. Fed as well, making note uh, of just how much fight they still needed to give to that interest rate picture, particularly earlier on in the year. So you saw uh, those yields sort of go towards that 4%, if not higher than particularly for that five-year note uh, in the U.S. The 10-year as well, uh, also sitting uh, close to that 3.83% that you saw uh, across this year. So this is now the, uh, pretty much the picture uh, as well. Then you're seeing the uh, t today that change uh, is where we're sitting right now, just a two basis point uh, drop off then in the yield for this point in time. As I said, that 3.83 was pretty much where we were sitting. So onto the dollar crosses then. Uh, the U.S. dollar has been uh, a key focus. That has strengthened quite uh, a lot. As we said, with risk getting into the market picture, uh, we have, of course, uh, taken a look at how things have gotten to fair. So, Julian, if we take a look at that dollar, you can see for now it's kind of come off uh, a little bit in some areas, but there is some weakness for the sterling at present. Of course, this year has been a very difficult year, particularly for sterling, having gone to that 103 mark uh, against the U.S. dollar now at a more, uh, shall we say, stable one, uh, 120, that is. Euro dollar having hit parity now coming back off that mark. So it really has been uh, fairly interesting on that front. That is really where the dollar crosses have been uh, thus far this year. I think let's take a look the at yen. the year to date. These are um, some, the, mm. the most recent moves, but year to date looking at where we stand. Uh, dollar index retreating 0.5% yesterday. Year to date though, dollar index up 8%. So we have seen a some weakness recently in the dollar. Dollar index down 2% on the month, 7% on the quarter, but again up. 8% year to date. And here's a look at sterling specifically versus the dollar. We're down about 11% versus the greenback, 120.35. What a year for sterling, Arabile. Yeah. Um, touching lows not seen for, uh, I believe, over a decade when yeah. Tresonomics came out in September. You were covering it all, uh, oh, but we've man. moved quite a way up since then. Yeah, we certainly have. And the question just becomes how much of that strength continues sort of into next year as well then, right? And will it be able to sort of maintain its stance there? Um, I don't think... Uh, we were speaking yesterday to, to Emma Wall, and she was saying that th she doesn't think that that change, that market particularly, that the, the sterling against the dollar will particularly move too much. This might actually be where it should have been to begin with. So Trustonomics really having done a number on the sterling dollar basis as well then. Let's switch gears and take a look at Asia and what we've seen in Asian markets. The story that has, of course, developed over the last month or so is the China reopening story with Xi Jinping announcing the rollback of several key COVID restrictions. And it's been a turbulent response from markets that you've got, obviously, the positive impact of China reopening from an economic perspective, but the risks that come with the abrupt nature of this reopening 
are sizable and there are a lot of question marks around whether or not a new and potentially dangerous variant could emerge uh, given the spread of infection in China and the low immunity in the country. Um, so here's where we are in terms of the latest trade. We've got the resilient performance. So following on from the rally on Wall Street yesterday, the Shanghai Composite gaining about half a percent in the overnight session. Hang Seng also catching a bid up about half a percent. So uh, resilient performance across Asia. Uh, looking at the year-to-date moves in the Asian market, again, mirroring the action we've seen in Europe and the United States. We've got uh, red across the board. The Shanghai Composite down 15% year-to-date. Hang Seng down about 15%. Nikkei 225 down about 9% as well. And what's, of course, been interesting about the Japanese market is that the Bank of Japan has been an outlier over the course of the year, sticking for the most part to its ultra-accommodative monetary policy, while the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England all raise interest rates. Now the Bank of Japan looks like it may also be jumping on that more hawkish bandwagon. So uh, we could see uh, more action in store for the Japanese market and a change in policy in 2023. Finally, let's take a look at Europe. We've seen some interesting moves in Europe, some of them mirroring what we've seen in Asia and the U.S. One market, though, in particular, has actually been uh, uh, has seen a positive performance over the course of the year, and that's the FTSE 100. We're up 1.7% year to date. Bear in mind, though, very different picture for the FTSE 250, which is much more domestically focused. FTSE 100 full of exporters which benefit from uh, weak sterling. Um, but interesting, nevertheless, to note that outperformance. Uh, Zetradax down 11% year-to-date. The Swiss market down about 16% year-to-date. FTSE MIB down about 12% as well. What's in store for the final day of trade in uh, Europe the, in the month of December and for the year? Well, it looks like we're in for a fairly weak start. We've got red across all the major regions here in Europe this morning. So looks as though after the bounce back we saw yesterday, investors may be taking a little bit of profit today. Let's take a look then at the U.S. futures numbers and as seeing how things will trade as well. Last trading day of the year in what is essentially the market's worst year for stocks since 2008. The overnight moves, of course, followed on from a rally during the regular trading session. And as their composite and S&P also gaining quite a bit. In fact, uh, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq both broke a two-day losing streak, uh, which was fairly interesting. All 11 sectors being firmly positive then in that U.S. trading picture. Today, though, we are expecting things to start off, particularly in the red on that session there. All right, then, let's uh, chat to Patrick Armstrong, who's Chief Investment Officer uh, at Plurimi Wealth. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for joining right. us. A Merry Christmas, festive season, last show of the year. Uh, it's, it's very fitting then, I suppose, we should have uh, Patrick here, considering you're a long friend of uh, Squawk Box as well, as well then. Um, this market picture for this year, not surprising to some extent, right? I mean, run hard last year, perhaps coming off, maybe was it a, a coming off a little too much more than expected? Um, what happened this year was driven by the Fed. Quantitative tightening, higher interest rates, they were pushed by inflation and anything that was liquidity driven sold off. If you were equities and uh, bond investors, um, you came into the year getting less than a percent on a 10-year treasury, which makes no sense. When the Fed was buying billions of bonds every month, almost justifiable, but uh, yeah, with hindsight, it's easy. But um, liquidity was the driver of the market. and. Um, the liquidity, the carpet's being pulled from underneath investors. And uh, next year, I think it's not going to be the Fed determining the market. I think yeah. it's going to be companies, fundamentals, companies that can grow earnings, defend their margins, sure. probably move higher. Bond yields are giving you a real return now above inflation. So it's a reasonable place to put capital now. Whereas at the start of this year, 
it didn't make much sense. Um, yeah. It was hard to expect a return above inflation where, where yields were. How much impact does, does growth and the, the, the likelihood of recessions across the world, of course, even in the U.S., which is possible, um, how much does that have an impact on valuations? Then? Um, well, the earnings outlook, it has a big impact on the earnings outlook. I think we're in recession in the UK, we're in recession in Europe right now. Um, the US is going to be flirting with recession probably by the end of the first half of next year. But it's a very strong job market there, wage growth and consumption 70% of the US economy. So it's not even certain the US does fall into a recession. The Fed's probably going to push it where it's, it's teetering on a recession anyway. So um, it's going to be key for 2023 to find companies that can defend their margins because that's the real risk for equities. Um, next year, analysts have a 13% profit margin expectation for the S&P 500, yeah. and that's a record high. Yeah. I don't think you can achieve that with a consumer that's having their purses pulled in so many directions from energy prices, mortgage costs, food prices, and probably dealing with a little bit of unemployment starting to creep up as the Fed continues to hike and uh, it's designed to destroy demand. So. Um, I think that's going to be the key in equities. In bonds, I think the two-year investment grade from banks in particular, you get a very nice low-risk return of 5 to 6% for investment-grade banks. So uh, Treasury two-year yields are 4-ish percent. Um, you can get up to 6% by buying a Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, those kind of bonds um, get a little bit of a premium. And I think that's a pretty good safe place to hide out next year yeah. as well. Let me just uh, dig into the U the equity versus bond question, because in as you pointed out, now you actually can get pretty decent returns yeah. in bond markets. Nearly 4% for the 10-year Treasury yield right now uh, is much more attractive than it was. And, and in comparison, now it feels pretty risky, like the bar is much higher to invest in equities versus bonds. Do you expect that dynamic to persist over the coming years? Are things going to be really different now when it comes to equities versus bonds? And they things have are been? normal, actually. It's the <laughs> previous years that were abnormal. Basically, when you put your money in a 10-year treasury, you should expect a small premium, a term premium, above inflation. And that's really where treasuries are being priced right now. So that, that's normal. It feels strange versus the euro with zero interest rates we've become used to. And equities um, shouldn't just be driven by everything moving higher because the Fed's pumping money into the system. Equities that are performing well, companies that are growing revenues, increasing profit margins, um, really innovating, those kind of companies should be rewarded. And I think we're in an environment that maybe is a little bit boring where you can eke out 4 to 10% return on equities and you get a 4 to 6% return on bonds, but the balanced portfolio approach, I think, was decimated in 2022. Um, valuations are, are what are different, and I think that sets the ground for a reasonable return for balanced-type investors in 2023. You make such an interesting point about how we've all become so used to this environment where you get nothing in bond markets and everything in equity markets, but that's actually not the reality no. that, you, that, that we are used to from a historical perspective. Um, you talk about the Europe already being in a recession, UK in recession, US probably maybe going to enter yep. recession next year. How do you expect that to translate to different equity performance across those three regions? Um, valuations are incredibly cheap if you look at earnings um, in Europe, but uh, are those earnings going to be able to be delivered? If we do have a significant recession, which is very possible, um, it's going to be driven by events in what Russia does in Ukraine, it's going to be driven by energy prices, and uh, 
it's hard to get fiscal stimulus in a recession. You're not going to get any monetary stimulus because the ECB's laid out a path where they have to hike, basically. So I don't expect big returns from European equities. I do like the global equities that are domiciled in Europe um, because I do think the dollar is probably going to start to return to a bit of strength when the Fed doesn't cut in the second half the way the market's pricing. Yeah, so those terminal rates become the key question mark that everybody's kind of just pointing towards then, right? And, and that above 5% in some areas, 4.5% uh, as well out in the UK being kind of the, the, the stable point. How, how far above that does the, mar the market begin to worry considering that things may, if, if the stance around really fixating around making sure that inflation goes down, and with labor markets still as stable perhaps in, in many regions, so more room to, yeah. to necessarily hike, at what level do you, does the market then get worried with those terminal rates? Does it, does it get worried 5% or maybe a 5% in the UK and, and above, for example? Um, I think that's where it's going to get to. Where I think the market's wrong is on the second half of next year, where it's got the Fed cutting rates. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just being a bit too cute that historically central banks have always hiked to provoke a recession then quickly have to do an about turn. Sure. The Fed's well aware of these risks. I think they're going to not do the pivot of cuts, but they're going to hike 25 basis points in January again in March, and then probably just sit on their hands because all the lagged effect of the previous hikes are going to come into play. You've got probably still a very weak global backdrop and yeah. inflation has plateaued in is the United States already. The bump, that it basically could go back up again, particularly inflation. Yeah, um, my view is that inflation is going to stay above Fed targets for a very long time, yeah. but it is plateaued and it's coming down and I think they'll take comfort in that um, and with an economy that's probably not generating much growth at all. I think the Fed will be happy with high inflation that's coming down and uh, just making sure they don't create the deep recession, trying sure. to have that shallow recession. Well, have you got enough, enough to drink? I mean, you're going to be with us for a little while today. Okay, aren't sounds you? good. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Thank you. Appreciate that. Patrick Armstrong still joining us today then here on Squawkbox. But coming up on the show, the energy sector is on pace for its best year since 1989. We'll take a look back at the oil and gas market right after this. Stay tuned. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Now, Beijing state media has described the COVID restrictions imposed on outbound travelers from China by other countries as, quote, discriminatory and unfounded, saying it amounted to a plan to sabotage its coronavirus control efforts. A wave of infections have erupted across China following the country's U-turn on its zero COVID policy on December the 7th, leading the U.S., Italy, India, South Korea and, Jap and Japan, that is, to impose COVID tests on people traveling in from China. At the same time, U.S. health officials and the World Health Organization have called on China to share more information about the spread of uh, coronavirus in the country. The U.S. says it's worried that a new COVID variant could emerge in China as the virus continues to spread widely as well as rapidly. 
Let's take a look at energy markets. We've seen um, over the course of the year gains across WTI and Brent, although recently we have seen a pullback. WTI and Brent down uh, week to date, month to date, and quarter to date, but up on the year, as you can see there, 4% and 7% respectively. Um, turning to oil majors, the oil and gas stocks in Europe, and we've got incredible performance year to date. Uh, ExxonMobil, uh, stateside, up nearly 80%. Uh, here in the UK, Shell up 45%, BP up 45%. So clearly these have been, if you've been lucky enough to put your money to work in these names, it's been a pretty good year. Patrick Armstrong is Armstrong is still with us, Chief Investment Officer at Plurimi Wealth. Patrick, I'm keen to hear your view on the oil and gas majors here in Europe and stateside if you've got a view on 20, in 2023. Yeah, I still like them. We still own them and um, they're still incredibly cheap um, if you look at all the measures. So it's dependent on oil and gas prices staying elevated. Um, if oil stays anywhere near current levels, it's incredible tailwind in terms of cash flow generation for these companies. If oil stays anywhere above 50, they're still gonna be very profitable. Um, and normally when oil gets above $100, like it did this year, um, you see a quick res supply response. The companies spend money, capital investment goes to exploration development, trying to get new production. This time, unequivocally, every oil company None of them did that. They bought back shares, paid down debt, and paid dividends. So you're not going to get the supply response from the mm. previous spike this time that you have in previous years. So demand destruction will probably keep a lid on oil prices, but um, there's been no supply response. And I actually think oil's probably set to stay at elevated levels um, for the coming year, even with a pretty weak economic backdrop. One of the biggest pushbacks to owning these names um, before Russia's invasion of Ukraine was um, from an ESG perspective, a lot of funds have restrictions. They don't want to invest in oil and gas companies, and they think they're in terminal decline. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the energy crisis has um, uh, raised a lot of questions over whether that's actually going to be the case or whether traditional energy sources are going to be with us for a longer period of time. Do you think there has been any structural change in the way we should think about oil and gas companies, or is this just a short-term play benefit right now from uh, higher energy um, prices? Investors are primarily investors in ESG when it was working and companies that had growth like solar and those kind of things weren't punishing your returns, it was fine to do it. But uh, I think if you're looking about returns, um, oil and gas and energy companies this year really showed that there's not just growth potential in it and valuation, but it's a very good hedge to other aspects of your portfolio. That if you're getting a margin squeeze in some sectors, it's being driven by higher input costs as well. So that's another reason in the portfolio context, I really like oil and gas companies for the coming year is um, they're creating a potential margin squeeze elsewhere and uh, you wanna have a bit of an inbuilt hedge in a portfolio. Yeah, there was a, there was a, a keen interest, particularly when gold went above $2,000 not so long ago. And, and that kind of filtered off and, and now it's sitting a lot more in this oil aspect and, and in this oil market, which of course has held uh, keen interest. But it, it feels as though the focus has shifted a lot to, to seeing whether there's a sustainability at around 80 odd dollars a barrel in that oil market particularly is that is that really the keen focus right now i mean oil sitting plus or minus what 78 79 odd uh, dollars a barrel then as well that seems to be when opec started to change its rhetoric a little bit when it uh, falls yeah. down below 80 dollars um you get to talk about uh, cuts from opec things like that um oil market's going to really be driven by Chinese growth as well. So uh, China is probably going to have some bumps on uh, moving away from its zero COVID in the next few months, but probably by the time we get to the end of this year, 
Hopefully it's a natural immunity story in China and the fact that their vaccines maybe aren't that effective. Uh, you get some natural immunity built up and that does push China to recover from what's been a pretty dire economic backdrop. So still some upside then, I, I suppose. I, I suspect, yeah, the narrative right now is the risks of the reopening. Yeah. But by the time we get to the end of next year, I think it's going to be the benefits of reopening because the zero COVID policy wasn't effective. It, yeah. it uh, was a policy driven by... I think one person's ego rather than the economic and the overall benefits of the plan. And I think uh, reopening probably will be, it's a pro-growth policy. Yeah. Um, the, the impact then as well of, of really just having added more members, particularly to OPEC, right? It being OPEC plus, you've, you've kind of seen the rhetoric, as you said, shift quite, quite a bit. Do you think that that disparity is going to continue to happen this year? I mean, it doesn't seem like they're ever going to come back together. Um, so, so I don't think OPEC's going to matter this much, uh, that much next year. Actually, I do think demand is going to grow at a slow pace, um, driven primarily by China. Um, the U.S., if you're not in a significant recession, is going to have incremental demand growth, and that's going to lead to more oils being consumed at the end of the next year than there is today. Um, and there's just not much new supply, so OPEC doesn't have to cut in that kind of market. Oil prices have fallen from well above 100 down to 80 over the last three yeah. months. But every single day, there's been more oil used during that period than there was produced. Mm -hmm. So sure. inventories have been drawn down. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.